A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Hillside, welcome. It's good to be with you today. It's good um, to be with our staff. Our staff is joined together this morning. We come to you with heavy hearts. We come to you as a people who long to be deeply formed by the way of Jesus. As we've just read the Beatitudes, this is the deep desire of our hearts, to be people who are blessed, poor in spirit, meek, gentle, open, ready to receive and hear from God's good way. We come to you with heavy hearts this morning. We come to you with a deep awareness of all the pain that our country is experiencing right now. We grieve along with so many others as we see COVID-19 continue to be something that we live in, losing over 100,000 people to date. We think about all of the psychological issues that are rising up in people and in the depression, the financial loss that so many families and individuals are experiencing. Joblessness continues to be on the rise. We think of the protests and the riots and the violence and those suffering from all the injustice. We especially think of the grief that continues to increase from Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. And we think of our nation hurting along with our neighbors of color who are especially hurting. So we wanted to take a moment this morning before we enter into song before we enter into a sermon or hearing anything else just to create some space for us to sit to name the things that we're bearing the things that we are carrying to name the things that we see to bring them before the heart of jesus and so i'm going to invite us to sit for just a few moments in silence to think about all that our nation is feeling all the things that we're feeling and let's bring them before Christ together. So let's close our eyes and sit in silence and say, Holy Spirit, you lead. We are listening.
we thank you, God, that you're holding all things together, that Christ holds the final word, and we trust that. And we thank you for being a God who's present with us and in all of this with us. We know that you share the hurt and the pain and you're right there in the midst with us and we're grateful for that. As we continue on in worship today and as we listen and as we sing and listen to scripture, we may experience some discomfort today. We may hear things that make us uncomfortable. But the way of Jesus is the way of loss. It's that downward mobility that we've continued to talk about as we put on the whole way of Jesus, the Christ pattern. We're going to watch a video montage of some of the images that we've seen over the last several weeks. Some of these images even come from Walnut Creek, the very city that God has placed us. So I invite us to watch and continue in this posture of openness and humility, asking the Holy Spirit to lead us, direct us, and speak to us. Let's watch together. See my brother. 
Their terrifying videos and reports of their deaths remind us again that the United States continues to perpetrate official and unofficial institutionalized racism. And it seems there is no hope that our systems of sin could ever improve on their own. We realize again that we need to confess as a nation of how we have sinned in thought and word and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We, especially we Christians who are white, need to repent and join the side of justice. The protests that have arisen in response to these deaths reveal the pain and deep longing for justice. We see police clashing with citizens. Owners have had their businesses looted and burned. Curfews have been instituted. Our hurt has boiled over into rage. Our fear paralyzes us. Our neighbors are hurting. We are hurting. We need the ancient practice of lament as a church. We cry out to God because we have no other hope. We're going to read Psalm 42 together in solidarity with our neighbors who are suffering. As the deer longs for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When will I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say all day long, where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I will again praise him, the help of my presence. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. I say to the God, to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I will yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. One of the ways our family is practicing lament is by drawing, is by drawing our prayers. Elijah, would you like to show and talk about some of the drawings that you made? Sure. Which one do you want to show first? So when you heard about the death and the killing of Ahmad Arbery, this is what you drew. Do you want to talk about it? Um, well, I got really mad about the killing. I wonder why you felt so mad. Because we aren't just supposed to be killing everybody. And when you heard about the death of George Floyd, who was murdered, you drew this picture. No, do you want to ex do you want to explain the picture? Um, you can. Well, I noticed that there's a person here who has his foot down on this other person here, and this other person is very sad. On his neck. On his neck. And then you drew that red sign that means that is not okay. Yeah. It's important for us to say what things are not okay right now. Hillside family, would you pray this prayer of lament with me? 
Remember, Father God, your promises. Jesus, the suffering servant, we are hurting. How long will the coronavirus take the health and life of our neighbors? How long will this virus keep us from our loved ones? How long will our brothers and sisters of color suffer under injustice and racism? We wait for you because we can wait for no one else. So, see our pain, Jesus. Act, God. Holy Spirit, Holy Breath, we remember George Floyd who cried out when he couldn't breathe. We remember Breonna Taylor who simply wanted to rest for the night. We remember Ahmaud Aubrey who wanted to use the body you gave him and go for a run. How long until they receive justice? Forgive us our sins for how we have benefited from systems that hurt our neighbors, for how we have perpetrated such systems or neglected to fight against racism. Allow our suffering to foster solidarity with others who suffer. When we feel lonely, may we reach out to those who are isolated. May we be generous instead of hoard. May our fear remind us no one should be afraid to go on a jog or to go to sleep in their own home. May our prayers become further action. Jesus, you reign forever. Do not forget us. Drive out this virus. Heal our land of its racism. Give us courage to act. Restore us that we may return and together in person praise you again as the great physician and just king. Amen. Thank you, Hillside family.
Lord Jesus, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. We just finished singing these words, and they ring so deeply true in my heart. Every, every moment, don't know that I could take another step without you in it with us. Man, as we uh, continue on in our, our journey through this worship experience, living in this space that we're living in, um, there's just a couple of things that I want to draw our attention to before we jump into the text and into where I want to take us today. Um, our children's ministry here at Hillside is offering what is called a virtual kids camp, something that we could not have even imagined saying just a year ago or months ago. Like, what, what is a virtual kids camp? But our children's ministry team, along with Pastor Cheryl, is um, offering a, a way for our kids to connect with God and with one another. And the theme that they're gonna be exploring is, is asking big questions, which I have a few myself. But our kids are gonna lean into that, and we're asking you parents to register your kids today through the website or through the Church Center app on your phone. The way this is gonna look is there's gonna be 75 minutes of an online experience. They're gonna gather first as a live, large group. There will be music and story, small group discussion, a game, um, and a craft to do with our kids. And our desire is to give our kids the deepest kind of experience with God that we can via online and to be as creative as we possibly can. And so we're asking you all to keep that in prayer especially during this crazy time that we find ourselves in. And also for our offering, I wanna just say to you, Hillside, I'm grateful for the ways that you continue to be a generous people. And you can give through one of three ways. You can give through our Church Center app. You can go online through our website and give. You'll see it's easily um, navigated there, or you can send your tithe into our address, which is printed on our website. So let's step into this. Uh, I take a deep breath and begin. I record these sermons on Thursday, and right now it is just shortly after 1 p.m. on Thursday. And the reason why we do this is because our tech team, which is Jer Jariah, um, needs to get everybody's different video parts, because we have to do all of this filming separate from one another. And he has to take all of these video segments and then begin to splice them together into some form that you see on Sunday. And over the last few months, it's like we don't know what we're walking into each day or what we're waking up to. And like last week, we were all struck by the murder of George Floyd. It happened on the 25th. And that question, that, that grief that weighed in on, on all of us, especially our, our black brothers and sisters of, oh, again, how long, oh Lord. And we watched in absolute horror. And when last Sunday rolled around, I woke up feeling the injustice of that 
and feeling like I missed it in last week's recording. And I wanted to say that I'm sorry that I missed it. And I own that. And my heart is heavy. I'm feeling overwhelmed, like, like you. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm drained by the division in our nation. I'm drained by the racial injustices that we continue to see. I'm drained by the violence. I'm drained by the media. I'm drained by so much information. But I refuse to stick my head in the sand. And I refuse to give in to that desire inside of me, if I'm honest with myself, that I just want to get back to how things were. Because we can't go back. We, we can't. We can't just continue doing the same thing over and over and again and, and expect a different outcome. And we can't go back to those levels of comfort and security that we once knew. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. And the question that keeps coming up for me in all of this is how, how are we going to respond to this? And how are we going to respond as Jesus followers to the injustices that we see? And how are we going to respond to what we're seeing on a daily basis of all the divisions that are happening, even, even among the Christian community? And for the last two months now, we've been situated in Philippians. And last week, we read through Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And I, and I want to just I want to read it again, and I'm not going to exegete it, and I'm not going to give a sermon on it, but I just want to read it because I want, the, I want to let the words stand on their own. And I want to start kind of at the end of verse 3, and it starts with, In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It's like Paul saying, listen, Pay attention. Humble yourself with an open posture. And then he goes on to say, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And we've been saying each week, we're, we're being invited to put on the whole person of Jesus. And we're invited to put on the thinking of Jesus, the actions of Jesus, which we desperately need now the feelings of Jesus, the, the anger of Jesus, the injustice that Jesus felt and how Jesus moved into oppression. Who being in the very nature God didn't consider equality with God something to be used on his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He made himself nothing. He chose to stand in solidarity with the oppressed and continues to stand in solidarity. And the question is, is where are we standing, my brothers and sisters? And being found in the appearance as a human, he, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And all of this, this, this poem connects us back to the Beatitudes that we read at the beginning of our gathering this morning, that we see in the Beatitudes, the form and the shape of what a Jesus community 
is to look like these are the people who are blessed. These are the people who are putting on the full thinking, the actions, the feelings of Jesus. And my hope and my desire is that this becomes more and more our posture as as we have a desire to be light in the world, to fully step into the Christ pattern. And as we've said over the last several weeks, the the Christ pattern is that death comes first and then life, that somehow death gives way to new life. And I've been asking all of us the question, what what needs to die in us? What, What are the things that need to go so that new life can spring forth, not only in our, in our individual lives, but in this community and in the East Bay. And, and what needs to die in our church so that new life can spring forth? And as many of us have been discovering, my friends, we have got some work to do. I keep coming back to the Psalms as I lament with all of you, with our nation, with our brothers and sisters of color, this prayer has been running deep inside of my soul. It it connects to a a deep longing, a wanting, a desire. And it, it comes out of Psalm 139, where David says, search me, O God, know me, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in me. It's like he's saying, please do surgery on me, a thorough examination. And I trust that, that you will do it well because you are a merciful God. And I, and I want to be healed. And so I'm asking you to do a deep work in me. I'm asking you to do a deep work in us. And then I conclude my prayer by saying, lead me in the way of Jesus. So search me and lead me in the way of Jesus. I wonder what it would look like For us, Hillside, what if we came together corporately, humbled ourselves, knelt before the Almighty and said, search us, know us, try us, know our hearts, know our thoughts, see if there be any wickedness in us and lead us in the way of Jesus. What would come out? What, what might we discover about ourselves? And do we have the humility to posture ourselves in this way? Let's take this even deeper. What if American white evangelicals did this? Do we have the humility to open ourselves up to the possibility that we might be participating and benefiting from a systemic racial problem in our country. And for many of us, unknowingly so, but but the question that I'm asking and I'm asking us is, are, are we benefiting from it? And that's why the psalmist uses the phrase search. I want you to, I want you to come in and do surgery. And I want, I want you to come in and, and do a thorough examination of our heart, our soul, who we are as a people. Years ago, a mentor of mine said something to me that has stayed with me. It's like, it's like that low bass note that kind of goes through your gut and it just reverberates at the deepest part of who you are. And he says, you know, it's, it's not 
the sins that I'm aware of that concern me, it's the ones that I'm not aware of. Those terrify me. All the various forms of idolatry operating deep down inside of my soul. And I sit with that every day and I, and I think about it and I think about the things that I'm not aware of. And, and do I have the courage to ask God, search me, know me, see if there be any wickedness in me and reveal it and root it out. Give me the courage to face it and, and do the hard work of going after those things inside of me that are not of you. All those forms of idolatry, things that I cling to, that I'm convinced that I need to have and that I need to hold on to. And I think we as Christians, especially American Christians, spend a great deal of time and energy dealing with our own individual sins. We tend to think of sin as an individual problem. You got your junk, I've got my junk, that's fine. We're all dealing with our different forms of junk. Or we might say things like, well, there's some bad apples in the bunch, but not all the apples are bad. We say things like, well, I'm not taking responsibility for your actions. That's, you did that. That's your problem, which gets us nowhere, by the way. And immediately my mind, my mind goes to a story in the Old Testament. And it's, it's a story that's hard for us as Americans to get our head around, but it's a story about a guy named Achan. And Achan is part of God's people. He's part of Israel the tribe. And Achan goes into battle with Joshua leading the way and and the people of Israel. And they go into the battle of Jericho and they defeat Jericho. And God gives them clear instruction not to take any of the spoils of war. That when you go in and you defeat, you are to leave everything behind, but just destroy and then move on. Don't take anything for yourself. And Achan, this one man, takes it upon himself. He takes, he takes a robe because it's a beautiful robe. He takes some, some gold and silver, right? No big deal. And a little extra to take care of some future things, maybe for his family in the future. And then Joshua 7 verse 1 says this, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah took some of them, the spoils. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Americans are individuals. We read this story and we think, I don't really fully understand what's going on here. It's like, that's not really fair. But God sees the whole community. And Israel understands that the whole, like we're all connected to one another. So. Maybe your actions do matter and and my actions do matter. Maybe the sins of our forefathers and those who have gone before us actually do matter, especially when we don't fully deal with the sins of the past and we don't fully eradicate things from their root. You see, there's individual sins, no denying that, but then you also have corporate sins and you see that throughout the scriptures. You have systemic sin. And if it's true that there are corporate sins and systemic sins, the question we have to look at and we have to ask ourselves is, is who is benefiting from these things? And who are the people that are, are being used to hold the system up? Who are the ones that are being oppressed? Because that tends to be how it works. And what about institutions? And what about religious institutions? It's the ones that we're not aware of those are the ones that should cause us to pause, take a good hard look at ourselves 
to be quiet and to listen, to begin with repentance, to weep, to confess our corporate sins, and to get to the deep roots and eradicate racism at its core, to eradicate all the different forms of idolatry that we've attached ourselves to. That's the hard work. That's the stuff that causes great uncomfort, that causes many of us, many of us to go, and, I, and I've heard this, why can't we just uh, be done with it and unify? Why can't we all just come together? Which many times is just another way of saying, can we just be done with it so that we can go back to how life was before? I just wanna get back to comfort. And no, the answer is no. We, we can't do that until we get to the root and do the hard work and humble ourselves. Hillside Community, Hillside Covenant Church is part of a multi-ethnic kingdom of God focused denomination called the Evangelical Covenant Church. And our denominational leaders are leading the way. They're, they're leaning hard into racial injustice. And I am grateful for our superintendent, Paul Wilson, here in the Pacific Southwest Conference. I'm grateful for our president, John Wenrick, who they are not being silent over racial injustice. They're, they're not being silent. They're, they're leading the way. They're, they're speaking out against these injustices, and they're calling all Christians and all leaders in the covenant denomination to step up and begin talking and begin addressing the real systemic issues that we are seeing now. And I'm grateful for pastors and friends in the covenant denomination. Uh, in particular, I think of David Swanson, who's a pastor of New Community Covenant Church in the south side of Chicago, a white pastor who has written a book called Rediscipling the White Church with the subtitle From Cheap Diversity to True Solidarity. He goes on to describe his book, and I, and I encourage you to consider reading this as a way of informing and learning and growing in our understanding. But he says, many white Christians across America are waking up to the fact that something is seriously wrong. But often, this is where we get stuck. And I want you to pay attention. Confronted by the deep-rooted racial injustice in our society, many white Christians instinctively scramble to add diversity to their churches and ministries. But is diversity really the answer to the widespread racial dysfunction we see in the church? In this simple but powerful book, Pastor David Swanson contends that discipleship, not diversity, lies at the heart of our white church's racial brokenness. Before white Christians can pursue diversity, he argues, we must first take steps to address the faulty discipleship that has led to our segregation in the first place. Drawing on the work of philosopher James K.A. Smith and others, Swanson proposes that we rethink our church's habits, liturgies, and imagine together holistic communal discipleship practices that can reform us as members of Christ's diverse body. And this is one book among many. And last Thursday, we had our service of lament. And in that email that I had sent out to all of you, inviting you into this service of lament, at the end, I put a link that was provided by the Evangelical Covenant Church to, uh, to give you resources. And there are scriptures and prayers and books and all sorts of materials for you to deeply educate yourselves um, in the racial injustice that has been going on for way too long. 
in our country. And it's time to educate. It's time to take a good hard look. It's time to rethink how we do discipleship and how we think about formation as a people. And in the next coming weeks, we're going to begin to see some of our hillsiders begin to open up dialogue about dealing with situations and issues like white fragility and white privilege and systemic racism. And please hear this, my friends. We're not here to condemn you. We're not interested in blaming you. We're not here to, to attack you. We want to be a learning community. And we have a lot to learn. A community that says, search us, know us, do surgery on our hearts, examine us, help us to walk in the way of Jesus. And if you find yourself already getting defensive and you're already preparing your list of yeah buts, you know, about the yeah buts, how, yeah but this, and all the emails that we're ready to, to fire off, I would ask you to pause for a moment, just pause, and ask yourself the question, what am I resisting? And then I'm asking myself the same question. What am I resisting? And why do I feel the need to be so defensive? What, what am I defending? Why do I feel the urge to get up and leave the table when the conversation gets uncomfortable? There are many of us who are beginning to see some things in ourselves, in our systems, and we're asking the question. It's like we're waking up for the first time. And, and, and many of us have been dealing with this for years. But then there are those of us who are just, it's like we're waking up for the first time and we're really beginning to see some of the hard edges of what's going on in our nation. And we're asking that question, search us. We're leaning in, know us, know our hearts, try us, know our thoughts, see if there be any wickedness in us, lead us in the way of Jesus. And I've spoken to many of you. And in the last week in particular, who, who are feeling like I, I'm beginning to wake up and last Wednesday, um, hundreds of covenant pastors, leaders, gathered together on a Zoom call with our superintendent, Paul Wilson, who interviewed one of our, our pastor leaders in the covenant named Ephraim Smith, who used to be our superintendent years ago. And Pastor Ephraim is an African-American pastor who co-leads a multi-ethnic covenant church in Sacramento called Bay, Bayside Midtown. And he spoke to us about some of his experiences as a black man growing up in South Minneapolis, the same neighborhood where George Floyd was murdered by a police officer on May 25th. And I'm grateful for leaders like Ephraim. I'm grateful for leaders like Sean Marshall. And if you remember, Sean Marshall spoke here over a year ago at Hillside as we were beginning to enter into uh, saying goodbye to our beloved Jeff. And we didn't know what all the change that was ahead of us, but there's been even more than we've anticipated. And the thing that I continue to hear from Sean when he talked about change is like, change don't care what you think. And I think that is so true. Change happens. It's one of the constants that we can actually count on in life. And I would encourage you to um, listen to Ephraim's recording. Christine Gilmore, who's one of our hillsiders who actually serves on council and just a tremendous woman here, part of our family, um, works for the superintendent's office and can get you that recording if you so desire 
to hear it. But I encourage you to listen to it because I think there's a lot that you can learn from it. It's really insightful and really helpful. And by the way, on a side note, um, Christine Gilmore is the one that's going to be leading uh, a, a discussion on white fragility, as you've heard. And I just have the utmost respect for her and love that one of our own uh, council members is going to be leading into these hard discussions to help us grow. But in the discussion that I had over that I had heard with Pastor Ephraim and, and also some of the things that I had read from an article out of Christianity Today where Ephraim was being interviewed. Um, so I'm just going to pull a few things that, that I had heard Ephraim write and Ephraim say. And he talked about um, John chapter 4 and Jesus having an interaction with a Samaritan woman. And he says this, as, as this is coming from the article. He says, first of all, we forget that Jesus, the Savior, came as a marginalized, oppressed Jew. He came as an Israelite, a Palestinian, brown-skinned human being. Now, back in January, you remember January? That, that feels like, like, when was January? We talked about the statement that Jesus made as he launches into his ministry, and he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is drawn near, or the kingdom of God is here. And I had said that that is, that is Jesus' inauguration speech. And for that statement to be made at that specific time in history was stated when there was an already established kingdom in place. And the already established kingdom that was in place was working for lots and lots of people. However, it wasn't working for everyone. So some were benefiting from the system, some were not. So only some lives mattered in that system. So Jesus lays down the gauntlet. This is how he begins his ministry, which I just absolutely love. And he says, the kingdom of God is here, which basically what he's saying is there's, there's a new order coming into the world and a new king coming into the world. This is inflammatory language. This is a politically loaded statement. And I want you to catch that. It's politically loaded. And it may have sounded like this today. If it, if it were brought into the here and now, into our world, it could be said like this. The radical revolutionary empire of God is here, advancing by reconciliation and peace, expanding by faith, hope, and love, beginning with the poorest, the weakest, the meekest, the least. Everything is about to change. It's time for a new way of life. Believe me, follow me, believe this good news so that you can learn to truly live and be part of this revolution. Now, the main way that Jesus declared and demonstrated the gospel that the kingdom of God is here was among the most vulnerable in the society that he navigated. And so Jesus says, I'm gonna show you what it looks like when God is ruling and reigning, when God is the true king. And he goes to Samaria in John chapter four to show us this is what the kingdom of God actually looks like in action, not just on a page, not just something that's talked about, but in action. And he goes into Samaria, which is just a loaded move on his part. Samaria, it's just all kinds of, of there's, there's so much percolating around this one line, he goes into Samaria. Now remember, we 
as Jesus followers today are, are choosing. We're making a conscious choice to put on the whole froneo of Jesus, the thinking, the actions, and the feelings of Jesus, all of it, all that, that makes us human. And he goes into Samaria, which by the, by the way, according to Jewish law, Samaritans weren't even considered human. They were, they were less than human. So when you read a discussion, as a side note, when you read a discussion of Jesus talking to a teacher of the law, a lawyer, and they're having this discussion about who is my neighbor. And the question about who is my neighbor actually ends with, well, the Samaritan. And the lawyer can't even say the word Samaritan. He can't even leave his mouth because that's how disdainful he was and so hatred towards this group of people. So actually the story of the good Samaritan, which could never be said, good Samaritan, are you kidding me? Not even human, is actually about racism. And we like to make the story about helping people in need or seeing people on the side of the road and going and helping a person in need. Those are great things, but actually the story is about racism. And so Jesus comes into Samaria, right? And he, he meets with this woman and he sits by a well. And the text tells us in verse six of chapter four, Jesus sat down by the well and it was about noon. Now, if you stop there, the story is trying to tell us something. It's about noon. It's setting, it's setting something up. Noontime was when the sun was at its highest point. It's the hottest part of the day. This is not a time that you go to the well to draw water. It's too hot. And along comes a Samaritan woman, and she's coming at noon. No one comes to the well at noon because it's too hot. And, she, and also in the story, we see that this woman has been uh, with five different men, married five different times because the system that, that she was a part of wasn't set up for women. A man could divorce, like legally divorce his wife if he didn't approve of her cooking or he no longer found her pleasing and that he wasn't attracted to her any longer. And so she's used up five times, thrown away. She's an outcast even among her own people, even among the Samaritans, which Jews and Samaritans didn't even, they didn't even connect, that she's, she's not even worth consideration among her own people that she's at the well at noon and she arrives and there's a Jewish man sitting at the well. It's interesting. And Jesus asks her for a drink. And there's something deep going on here. And it's more than just Jesus went into Samaria because that's important, but it's how he went into Samaria. The son of God sits down at a well. He looks up at a marginalized woman, an outcast who was deeply despised by the religious institution and asks her for a drink. And so Jesus begins with a receiving posture. May I have a drink? Can we stop for a moment and think about that? Jesus begins with a receiving posture. And you know, you know when someone comes into something with a receiving posture. You know, you can feel it. And you know when someone comes in and they want to take or they want to fight or they want to prove their point. But Jesus comes in with a receiving posture. Can we honestly stop for a moment and ask ourselves, why is it 
the moment we say black lives matter, why is the response so quickly, all lives matter? Why can't we, and specifically, why can't we as white people have the same posture as the Jesus we claim to follow? A posture of receiving, a posture of humility. Can I have a drink? And Ephraim said in his article, and I want you to hear this, what if, evangelical, what if evangelicalism was willing to drink to receive the pain, the grief, the stories, the experiences of the African-American church to receive its preaching, its worship, its theology about how the gospel emerges among the suffering, how the gospel empowers those at the bottom of the social structure. And please, friends, hear my heart. We need a more humble posture of receiving and learning. We need the marginalized church, the church that has been deemed as the other to be the teacher in this moment. And to have the most dominant form of the church in America be the student who is learning to share power. Ephraim goes on to say, evangelicalism must be willing to hear terms like white supremacy and white privilege and white nationalism. And the impact that not only those words, but the actions behind those words have had on African Americans. The impact they are having on African Americans today without getting offended, without becoming defensive, without walking away from the table. I need my dear white brothers and sisters to admit they're actually participating in the white church because they will say, why did you call that black church, black theology? Because they think white theology doesn't exist. They think it's just orthodox theology and then all other theologies. I'm asking you, friends, I'm asking you, Please don't give a commentary. Please don't get defensive. Put on the whole way of Jesus, who took on the form of a servant, humbled himself. It's time to listen, to move into a conversation with a receiving posture, to move into uncomfortable conversations that when we feel ourselves starting to squirm and wanting to run, we stay in it. And we ask the question with a receiving posture, can we have a drink? Can we have a drink? We come to the table today, the table of Eucharist, the table of communion where we partake of the good gift of God given to us without any strings attached, the great equalizer. And I'm gonna ask Pastor Jane to bless us, to lead us in our own repentance, in our own confession, to lead us to come to the table with the question, can we have a drink, even if it makes us uncomfortable?
So let's prepare our hearts and ready ourselves to receive the good gift of God's grace. Grace and peace be with you. Hi, my friends. You know, the table is the perfect image for fellowship and equality. Jesus himself, the Son of God, Emmanuel, sat at a table with fishermen and Pharisees, with friends and enemies, with the rich and with the poor. To sit at a table with Jesus is to admit your hunger and your thirst, to say that you don't have all the answers and that you're seeking truth and greater understanding. So as we gather in our homes today around a virtual communion table, let's receive these gifts of God as a hungry people, a thirsty people, grateful for the bread of life and the cup of salvation, but also crying out for transformation, that we would be, um, our hearts would be opened and our minds enlightened so that God might use us to create a better world. Now, if you weren't able to prepare for communion, now is a good time to push pause and go get some juice or wine and crackers or bread, and we'll be right here when you get back. As people of the covenant, we believe that the Lord's Supper is for everyone who loves Jesus and seeks to follow him. You don't have to be a member of this church or a regular attender. Children are welcome to take communion and we just defer to the parents as to when they might be ready to do that. So first I'm gonna say the words of institution over both the bread and the cup. And then I'll say a prayer. And after that, we'll serve each other or serve one another. Now, let's figuratively sit at the table together and receive what God so much desires to give us. The Lord Jesus, on the night he knew he would be betrayed, took some bread. And when he had given thanks for it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. And in a similar manner, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. And whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And the Apostle Paul tells us, of course, that whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, that we are proclaiming Christ's death until he comes again. So we are both remembering what he's done for us on the cross, and we are anticipating what he will do when he returns. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this table and for your gracious invitation to sit with you, to eat and drink and remember. We ask you also to change us and strengthen us so we can help bring your kingdom to this world. Amen. Body of Christ, broken for us. The blood of Christ, shed for us. And now it's your turn.
you know, it may be virtual, but it's still good to be together. Now let's receive God's blessing through his servant, Daniel. Yeah.